It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Lockdown Nuggets podcast, part of the Lockdown NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades from DNBR, and I'm joined by my co-host from the senior NBA writer from the Action Network, Matt Moore. Matt, what's happening on this fine Sunday afternoon? How much? It feels weirdly kind of normal. I'm like, I've got sports on my television that I'm watching. I enjoy the WNBA kickoff of their regular season this weekend. That's been great. Um, can't wait for Denver to get a team eventually. Uh, caught up on the scrimmages from yesterday, last night, and it's felt I, I baked today. I never, <laughs> I've never baked before. I'm not a person that has ever, I cook a lot, but I can't bake. And so I'm teaching myself to bake and I successfully baked today. So I'm excited. So you're into baking. I'm into bird watching. Um, this quarantine has really, uh, taken us in places we didn't expect. It's broadening our horizons. Who's, <laughs> to, say, who, who's to say the pandemic is all bad. <laughs> That's true the positives of the pandemic today on locked on NBA. Um, no, are you, um, are you back in the swing? This is one of the things I'm curious about. The first games were Wednesday. This is Sunday. Yeah. And I'm personally a little surprised at how much I'm kind of like just back in it, you know, like back into like games and things feel normal almost to me, or do they still feel to you? Do they still feel strange when you're doing it? No, it feels, it, it doesn't, I guess here's the thing is I don't even know if it feels normal. It feels very refreshing to me. Yeah, that maybe um, is a good point, yeah. It, it's that, like, when I, like, sat down and was like, I'm just going to watch basketball for a couple of hours um, and not having, like, my kids' cartoon shows on constantly <laughs> and not, like, just being, you know, just the same old, like, the break in the monotony was nice, but not only that, but just this transition to having something to really put my attention towards, I think has been really good for me personally. And obviously, professionally, it's nice to have something to do that's not, hey, what can we do this week to fill time? Right, um, right. You know, and I think the players are at once like happy to have basketball back, but it's also complicated because there's still kind of the tension of wanting to draw attention to things like the Breonna Taylor case um, and stuff like that that continues to be such a, a big part of it. And like we haven't spoken to Jeremy Grant since he uh, has media availability in which he talked about that Breonna Taylor, and that was his only kind of answer to things. Um, and it's a little bit frustrating just in the sense of like I'd love to talk to him more, but there's also like I don't know what to ask about because there hasn't been any advancement on the case. So all these things kind of continue to be very much in the forefront while also basketball is also in the forefront. So it's like, it is competing a little bit. And I understand the players kind of concerns about it being a distraction. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Grant's an interesting that you brought him up because we can get right into, we have a lot of nuggets conversation, a lot of topics. And I actually thought from this last game that Jeremy Grant was the most interesting player in it. Um, And if you look at the numbers, you know, not, not really a great, Jeremy Grant game um and he was I think like a minus 27 I'm pulling it up right now he was by far that yeah minus 27 in 30 minutes so you look at that if you were one person to look at plus minus in a scrimmage such a meaningless scrimmage game you might look at that and say something you know whatever but they used Jeremy Grant as the point guard in this second scrimmage the first time it was Plumlee and Jokic took over primary you know ball handling Jeremy Grant was running pick and rolls and he was bringing the ball up the court 
to me, that was the most interesting thing. I don't think it's anything Denver's going to do again. I think that was a one-off experiment, but it was at least to me a signal that they view Jeremy Grant as a player that they would like or perhaps like to expand his horizons a little bit. Did you sort of – did this was this a thought that popped into your head while you're watching Jeremy Grant run pick and rolls throughout the game? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think my bigger takeaway wasn't just just him, though, because we saw Bull Bull actually drive a little bit. Like, he had yeah. a nice lean, like floater in the lane um, over, like, three people that were just like, oh, God, how do I block this? Yeah. Um, I, I think there's something to it in the sense of I think Malone is always struggling with how to get beyond the traditional concepts that he's always known as basketball life, which is if you look at, at the way that the Nuggets are, even going back through, like, this entire Malone era – I think there's always been kind of a, a, a an issue with these guys can do more, but do we want them to? Yeah. And, and Jokic is maybe the one exception to that rule where it was like, really like he's too good for him not to do these other things, which like some of that gets back into the, the real core and heart of the, the twin towers issue of, you know, we need Jokic to be center because we need everything to revolve around him and not just him be, you know, part of a, com- a component to a greater thing. And so like, I-, I think in this situation with so few guards available that he was, again, you know, Malone was kind of forced to be like, all right, let's see what you guys can do. Like if we give you this kind of opportunity, what can you kind of create? Um, and the results obviously weren't awesome um, on a number of levels, but I don't know how much of that was capability versus to me, it just seemed like one, a couple of guys just seemed tired because yeah. They're back into it, right? They've been in the bubble a while. They're back into it, especially like Mason, I thought looked tired. Um, yeah. And then just, I think that they're all kind of worn out on playing so far out of position that it's like, okay, what are we doing? Like everyone, I think it's one thing if you have your full complement and you're going to deploy guys in very specific ways. Mm-hmm. I think it's another thing if it's, if you were consistently trying to like, all right, we have to have like a structured offense with yeah, yeah, yeah. four seven-footers. And Jokic hard. said this, and, and Michael Malone said this, the, these games probably don't tell us anything about anything. And I believe that. Like, I don't think we, we know anything about where the Nuggets are right now. I don't think the Nuggets know anything about where no. they are right now. Nope. But I do wonder, one thing if, after watching this last game is seeing Jeremy Grant just handle the ball, seeing, seeing him act confidently handling the ball – I am now curious to see if in scrimmage number three and more importantly in the eight seeding games, if Jeremy Grant is given the green light. I've talked about this with Tory Craig before where he seems to not have the green light to run pick and rolls. And I think it actually kills the flow of the offense sometimes because yeah. it's like he catches it and goes, oh, I'm not supposed to do this. Just pass it. I'm wondering if Jeremy Grant has a green light and he's going to have some turnovers. He's probably going to have some bad shots. But I do think that if he can handle it, there's something um, to be said for him just being a threat in that offense. So to me, if you look at the main guys, not the, uh, you know, the, the Troy Danielses and the uh, Bull Bulls, if you just we'll talk about those guys in the next segment, but if you look at the main guys, to me, he was the one that stood out and it's a little bit ironic or, or maybe, maybe not so ironic that he was the minus 27 in that game. But why don't we take our first break here real quick, because we'll have a big sec- second segment here and talk about Bull Bull's second performance and Troy Daniels who dropped 28 points. But before we take a break, I want to tell you, if you guys, if you're car people out there, you've gone to, um, you know, a, an auto shop and there's all these different makes models, all these different things. You have to ask a question. You go to the guy at the, the counter and he pulls up his computer and he's taking forever to kind of sort through everything. And he's trying to find the part. 
That's the old way. The new way is rockauto.com. That's rockauto.com. It's a family business. They're serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. And if you go there, you can shop for uh, auto and body parts for hundreds of manufacturers, everything from engine control modules, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, new carpets for in interiors. Whether it's a classic car or your daily driver, you can get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. RockAuto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Anybody can do it. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brand, specifications, and prices you, you prefer. So right now, if you go to RockAuto.com, you see all the parts available for your car and truck. And if you write locked on in the how did you hear about us box, it'll let them know that we sent you there. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So now the, the the player everybody is talking about, the entire NBA is is, is kind of uh, enthralled with. I know I am. Bull Bull. His second game, the first game was like a shot of adrenaline to the heart. The second game, maybe you look a little bit more critically at. But I gotta say, here's my first impression. I'll let you I'll let you kind of shoot this down. But he had 15 points, and they only credited him for two block two block shots. I thought he had four block shots. They only credited him with two. The it's the second game that he's at least put up numbers. Whether some of those numbers were empty or maybe, you know, he forced a lot of shots, whatever. We'll talk about that. But I'm at least interested in just some of the stuff he's capable of doing and the fact that now two games he's produced some stats. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I always say that there's two types of things that a player can provide, which is they can provide production or they can provide impact. And the idea that you don't need production is false. Now, I don't think you that sometimes uh, you you can replace the production that a player provides, right? That's when yeah. you start to get into empty stats, dudes. But I think on some level, like you still need somebody to get the rebounds. You need you still need somebody to uh, get the buckets. You still need somebody to get the offensive boards. Like you need those things. And I think that he's proved that he's capable of having the confidence to get the production. You can teach impact later. Mm. Um, but I think you can't really teach production. This is kind of where busts come from is that if a guy comes in and he's not an impactful guy, like Brandon Clark's a really impactful player for the Grizzlies. Um, he doesn't have a high production, but he doesn't need it. Like he's, he just is an impact player. Um, if you have a guy that comes in, but he can't do any production whatsoever and he's not making an impact because most rookies don't like, that's a real problem. And so I think with bowl, it's like, it's a good sign that even in the scrimmages, 
he's able to do these things. I think that um, he'll benefit, I think, if he plays in the eight seeding games, he'll benefit from the fact that I don't think he's on the scouting report yet as much as people are hyped. Even if you generate a level of hype, I don't – it doesn't – the veterans won't guard you until you burn them. Like, I learned this from Iguodala, who left Clay Thompson open when he was a rookie. And was like <laughs> – and, like, I asked him afterwards, I was like, what was kind of the thought process? And he's like, honestly, until you get to know a guy – you tend to be like, he's going to have to show me. Like, I want to be able to do yeah. other things on defense. And so he's going to have to show me. And he's like, he showed me. I won't let him shoot. I won't let him shoot over me again. Turns out that was true. Because <laughs> Andre was just going to join Clay. But still, um, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was interesting. Look, um, the shooting motion. Well, let me say one thing to that. Because yeah. I thought the tall ball lineup had a similar thing. Like, the first time you rolled out, first of all, it was Washington, whatever. And I think everybody's caught off guard. The moment you can say, okay, this team has to play hard, like, tall, it's very easy to scheme for. I just, I'm only saying this because I saw a lot of people in my mention saying, why not play three centers and two power forwards? It's like, guys, just because it worked against Washington in a scrimmage in which nobody was prepared for that does not mean it's going to work in actual basketball. Yeah. And I mean, like, um, in particular, the Pelicans are tough because they have, and especially honestly without Zion, because without Zion, what happens? They shift to be more perimeter oriented. And if you're more perimeter oriented, your guards, your bigs then in zone have to guard against drives when they're yeah, always yeah. going to be a step slow. Like then, yeah, they've always... never looked very slow with that tall lineup on. on yeah. Saturday. And you have to, and also the best part of the zone thing, right. Is like, you can cover, you, you can cover this wide area of ground um, to count contest shooting. Like traditionally the, the idea for breaking zone is just shoot over it. I think with the bigs, it kind of changes things instead to their problem is going to be, how do you crowd? Right. Like, yeah. how do you how do you stop them from getting enough momentum to get, especially if you have no backline, because you're all kind of spread out the way they were in that Pelicans game. It's a tough matchup. Look, the Pelicans have given them trouble all year. Like, that's been yeah, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> just they they yeah. the Nuggets. The Pelicans are a bad matchup for the Nuggets. It just yeah. is. It's just kind uh, of a thing. I want to take the conversation in this direction, though, because we've seen Bull Bull now for two games. We're we're experts now on Bull Bull. But what how would you rank his top three skills? Like, this is an interesting question because some of the stuff that, like, really shines maybe isn't the stuff that's most important. What would you say his top three skills are in the NBA currently? I would say his top skill is shot obstruction. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Intimidation maybe? Just, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't even think it's intimidation because what we've seen a little bit. I agree, by the way. Well, what we've seen a little bit is guys will actually kind of drive on him and be like, I can get over him. And then they're like, oh, my God, where is, like, his hand goes up forever. So like, I think he has, like, five jumpers that he's blocked, yeah, which is, like, yeah. I mean, five in a season is great. So five that he has already. But that's I do think that's a double-edged sword. It's part that he is capable of doing it, but that's players aren't quite aware. It was J.J. Redick that came out, and somebody put a tweet out that was like, I wonder what J.J. Redick was thinking when he took the shot. And he, was, and he replied, or like, I'm thinking, there's, how the F did this dude get that sh- block that shot? Yeah. Um, that's a real skill, though. I mean, his ending reach and his mobility, I actually think he's going to be a – it's almost weird because it's not rim protection. It's like jumper protection. I, again, I think it's just – it's like if you're able to disrupt – if guys are like, if guys go into their comfort zone and all of a sudden they're like, crap, I can't get around him. Like it's, it adds another level of concentration. Cause one thing you saw in the wizards game and you saw this one and this one a little bit too, after he gets those blocks early, they start to be like, okay, I'm going to have to do like a double move. I'm going to have yeah, to go yeah. here. I'm going to have to like, 
I got to give this guy, I'm going to have to get under him. Mm-hmm. And they start to adjust because he doesn't have counters to their counters, right? Like as a, as raw prospect as he is, I think, I think that's one of the things is he doesn't have counters to their counters. His second best skill, I think has to be the shooting. Um, just because it's beautiful. It's a beautiful looking shot. It just yeah, looks yeah. beautiful when it goes in. I will ask this question. Um, like, we're, are we in agreement that he's going to have to be very much a, like, a set – like, he's going to have to be, like, a pick-and-pop or spot-up weapon because the length of time that it takes for him to get that ball into the air – like, I don't know if they could shoot over. Like, I, I'm not saying that they can – like, they're not going to block it. But you could – you if a guy runs at you and jumps in the air, it's harder – like, I asked Shane Batty about this once, about would you rather have a longer guy closing at you from distance or a shorter guy right under you? And all the NBA players I've talked to always say, oh, the shorter guy under me. He's not in my vision. I can hit that. A hundred percent, yeah. I think and, yeah, and, this is a big Shane, thing with him. Yeah, but Shane Battier, though, is like, no. This, the data statistically proves you want the guy longer away. You are always going to make more when a guy is further away from you. Man, I still I, – I, I, I would even question this logic and the statistical analysis that leads to this logic. But I love it. I love it. This, this was neither here nor there. The shot – here's what's interesting about him because I do think his catch-and-shoot shooting, it's such a threat because you have to be so close to him to, to block it to your point. It's a little bit of a slow release, but it doesn't matter. He's so tall that I'm not sure you – and I actually think he's going to get more confident with his shot. He needs better shot selection. But I think he's going to get more confident just in the, hey, let it fly because nobody can block me. Right now it's almost like he, he passed up a couple jumpers the other, uh, in the Saturday game where I'm like – I'd rather you take that one because no, they weren't going to block it. They might have run by you, but they, you would have gotten it off. But what's interesting about the rest of it, he has sort of developed a game where he kind of drives to the basket and shoots these little fallaways or runners. Yeah. And those two are unblockable. And I think unblockable. him knowing that he didn't shoot great on them, but they had a couple that I was like, ooh, I, you know what? That's interesting. I like that shot. Little six-foot Dirk Nowitzki's or, or little things like that. And you think – if a player can't block it and you can become the you can knock those down enough that the defense overreacts to it, that too is a form of gravity that I think is going to really work in his favor. So I would agree I, with you that the shooting is a, a big part of it. And then for me, the third one would be that secondary. His his handle's not great, but it's good enough for him to sort of shot fake and get to eight feet of the basket. And at that point, you're so tall, the defense is compromised. I, I have an insane comparison for you. Oh no. Uh, so, hear me out. Uh, okay. Kelly Olenek. Okay. okay. That's, not, that's not that, that crazy. Yeah. So, like, I mean, here's kind of the deal. It's like, yeah, the bodies are different. So that's the thing. Is like, Ball Ball is like an infinitely taller, infinitely longer Kelly Olenek in that Olenek's shot is faster, but the same mechanics are true, and that's very hard to actually, like, disrupt his shot because, one, he has really great shot selection, and it's always, like, his motions are always very primed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, they run a ton of those handoff motions. I noticed that, like, guys, when they're trying to defend bull running, some of those handoffs are just like, what is – like, what yeah, am I doing? Yeah. Like, how do I get around this? And then, like, I just imagine, like, man, when they're able to get Jamal and bull on the floor together or even Monte back and be able to run, like, those little mechanisms with the handoffs, especially if Joker is doing something to distract them, like, it – there are – I get excited about the possibilities <laughs> yeah. of what you can – like this I think is one of the, the big differences, right? It's like there – I tend to gravitate towards players that can't do a whole lot, but are just like they do what they do really well and they make what you do better. Like they're a great screen setter. They're a good rebounder. They're a solid defender. They're a reliable shooter. I like these things because I value consistency because I've noticed how important that is for building a team. 
the cost of that though is I sometimes forget how amazing it is when you have all of this capability. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's like a lot of it is bowl bowl means you're, you can just do like, especially like when I started thinking about God, like if you have MPJ and bowl, you could just do some stuff. That's going to be no team can match up with Jokic. I'm telling you, there's no team in the history of basketball that can match up with bowl bowl MPJ and Jokic doing the things that they're good at. Right. I mean, they, those guys can't do them consistently enough yet, but I'm just saying no team has guys that fit all three body types. And that's right. That's part of what's so exciting about it. Um, he does have to get – the thing about Kelly Olenek is that he's a really smart player, and that's why he's yes. in the league, and that's why he survives. Is he always – you mentioned the shot selection, but it's not just that. It's also just the, like, where to be on the court and when. And Bull Bull, it's such a tough thing because I think Bull Bull can be ready to go next season if he can learn – if he can simplify the game, and then you kind of unspool it from there. But that's kind of a tall task. He's starting from a really low baseline, so – I'm I'm curious to see if he can get there because uh, a bull bull with great shot selection and and maybe even a little bit of a lower usage early on in his career is going to be such a, a crazy weapon. Do you where do you think he's at in his development? I mean, would you feel comfortable sticking him out on the court in a uh, third quarter? I think. Hmm. So, I, I mean, I differ from Malone on this. I defend Malone a lot of the time on these kind of decisions because I understand the thought process. Like, it's a matter of, I think that there are competing ideas and you can prefer one or the other, but I'm not sure either is necessarily right. Mm-hmm. And so for me, like, I would, because I am, with Denver, especially in this environment, I am looking for upside. Like, I am looking yeah. to disrupt things. I am looking to be um, a fire starter. I want to hit people blindsided. I don't want to be the oh, you know, they're the Nuggets, and they're, like, really good. And, like, Jamal's really good, and obviously, like, Jokic is great, and Gary Harris is solid. And I tell you, Paul Millsap, like, trust the veteran. And, like, I, all those things are true. Like, all those things are – and they're, they're part of why Denver has is the third seed in the Western Conference. But in this environment, I want to hit him with something where it's like, okay, you managed – like, you've gotten yourself a lead. All right, let's see what you do with the 7-2 shooter. Let's yeah, see what yeah. happens now. Like, yeah. let's, let's try this out. So, like, I want to go – I would be playing MPJ and Bowl Bowl because I'm more concerned about hitting a higher ceiling at the risk of a floor, in part because I, I do genuinely believe – look, even if you screw up and a game goes from, like, a four-point deficit in the third to a 12-point deficit going into the fourth, yeah. one, your bench sucks, so you're probably going to be in that, that position anyway. Like, that's been the problem all year is the bench yeah, has been so terrible versus the year before. Second – I have a lot of confidence that my bench can get me back into it because they've been one of the best starting units or the start, the stars can get you back into it because they've been one of the best starting units in the NBA over the past three years. So like, I'm just like, if they put the hammer down, I feel like I've seen Denver come back from behind too many times. Like they are very sneaky. Like they, some teams do not sneak up on you. The Nuggets can absolutely sneak up on you. I've seen a lot of teams be like, we're fine. We're fine. Malone's Malone's not doing this. I mean, it's almost a moot point because, I mean, look, Mason Plumlee has been such a big piece of this team. He's the unsung hero. 18 points, 13 rebounds, four assists, two steals in this last game. Like, he he produces. And and we know Malone. He's all about wanting you to earn it. He's about rewarding guys. It would be – I think it would be an insult to Mason Plumley, quite frankly, to 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 throw Bull Bull out there. Um, so I don't I don't see it happening too much. Maybe in these seeding games, I, I we will see it. And I'm really intrigued by Bull Bull. I like him a lot, and I think his upside is is pretty uh, exciting. But I just I think we're probably a, a week or two away from the end of the Bull Bull show for, for the season, sadly. So 
I think. Um, um, I mean, I think. I think we'll see him early on in the seeding games, in part because the other guys just aren't in shape. Right. Yeah. I think. And I, but yeah, I think. Look, like yeah. when it, the playoffs start. Yeah, the playoffs start August August seventeenth. By like August tenth, Bowl yeah. Bowl has probably been probably nice. Unless. He's completely dominant. Let's take a break. On the other end, we're going to look forward now because the Nuggets have one last game and it might actually feature their team. I'm excited about that. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Back here on Locked On Nuggets, I'm Adam Matas, joined by Matt Moore. So now let's look ahead. And actually, before we look ahead, let me ask you this. We've talked about this already a little bit last week, but... I'm watching the Lakers. I'm watching the uh, the Bucks. I'm watching some of these other teams, and they look like they're working on things. The Nuggets look like they're having fun. Um, they have they had they have practice tonight. As soon as we're done with this call, we're actually going to hop on that one. The Nuggets have practice tonight, and then they have a game tomorrow. I don't know that they're going to this preseason is going to mean a thing to them. It seems like it was almost a wasted ramp up towards the season and whatever happens Tuesday through Friday will be the real training camp heading into the season. Um, I, I, before we talk about who is going to play and who's not, do you kind of feel the same way that Denver has wasted the last two weeks? Well, for starters, they're not even having practice tonight. They canceled that by the way. So you're free to go hang out with your family. There's no phone call. There's no phone call. They Are you sure? It. Oh, yeah. no longer practice. Oh, look at this email. Oh, you got to be kidding me. 1140 oh, this morning. Uh, so, Ugh. yeah, no practice. No practice. I think, I, yeah, I would say probably wasted. I think, yeah. I, I don't feel like, Mal- I don't think the coaching staff. So, like, here are the voices I really care about on the team. I care about Malone, um, his assistant coaches. I care about. Jokic, Barton, and Millsap. Those are like mm. the voices that I really genuinely care about what they think. I think that's pretty accurate, to be honest. And yeah, and so if I look at that crew, um, I would imagine that Millsap is very frustrated because he's just like, I could have been home for another two weeks. Like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. This for is, sure. you know, we didn't gain anything from this. I think Will's probably the most frustrated just because he's like, we could like, if we could just get everybody back together, we could do something. Yeah. Um, I think Jokic is probably not. I think he's probably in the like, okay, this was rough, but we could do this. Like, it's fine. Like it's, you know, it's oh, see, I, don't, I, see, I disagree with you on Jokic because we, what do we know about Yoke when he's not challenged and there's something pointless, my God, does he phone it in? And I felt like, even these scrimmages, he's been out there and doing some things, but I just, I don't think Jokic can, it's, he can't be the Michael Jordan, make up a story, come into the game to motivate him. I think he's like, yeah, well, this is pointless. So I think, I think that's true, but I also don't think he minds it. So there, here's the difference. He doesn't mind that it's pointless. We mind that he plays like it's pointless. Okay. All right. And there's a difference <laughs> in those two things, right? Like he's like, okay, so it wasn't great, but you know, who cares? It's just a scrimmage. We'll be fine. You know? And like, we'll, like we'll get through the regular season and then we'll play in the playoffs. Like, I don't think he goes into the mindset of like, we really got to get ready. 
I think he's always like, well, either be ready or we won't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that Barton and Millsap want a higher level of I want to be at top like a high level of execution. And I think that's one of the reasons that Malone connects with both those players is they both have that kind of mindset of I want to be ready. Um, so I think that's probably it. I think you know, there's been some like it's been nice to have Bull Bull. Um, I do have to I gotta ask you about this because um there is a I always find your appraisal of guards very interesting. And so I'm very curious as to what you think about Troy Daniels. I don't think much, to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, he can clearly shoot the ball. I think maybe a little streaky of, of a shooter, but I mean, seven of 10 in this last game and some of the shots he took are the types of threes that nobody on the Nuggets really takes. I mean, he had a couple just, I would call them quick release, quick, not even like quite pick and roll, but just come around a screen and, and pull up really fast and Denver probably needs a guy like that but Malone was even asked about this after the game of you know is he going to play and Malone in his own way sort of said no <laughs> just saying we well you know we only play we can't play 10 11 12 guys and they already have a bunch of guards that are going to be in the rotation so um he does have a skill set that Denver lacks but I don't think he's a good enough all-around player to to leapfrog anybody yeah see I don't know about that um I think if we look back at last year, uh, what's the biggest? What was the like? What, what was the problem for Denver in last year's playoffs? I mean, Offense. they couldn't shoot. Then they couldn't the, shoot, yeah. and they didn't have anybody to turn to. And I think, honestly, I think even though I think Troy Daniels' mistake frequency is probably about as high as Malik's, he I think he has more confidence in Troy than he did in Malik. I just that's my opinion. Is like I think I, as, yeah. a, as a veteran that's been around, Good and veteran, that also yeah. so there's two things here with Troy being new. Okay, there's two things in, in play here. One. Um, Malone saw the entire progression of Malik and so he saw all the mistakes along the way mm. and that I think impacted Malone's appraisal because he was always that guy that had made those and we, I've seen this before with coaches where it's like a guy makes mistakes when he's a rookie and like that's who he is to you right? and you can't and like it's hard like they have to play so well to reach yeah. a level where they move beyond that um, and then two I was thinking about this a lot when, when Troy was getting them shots up I think a lot of the time is the nuggets that are currently on roster have been a part of an offense that flowed and worked so well that they're constantly trying to rediscover that. Mm. Gary Harris is my biggest example of this is that yeah. like, they're always trying to get back to 2006, 2017, 18 and do a degree 19 nuggets where the ball's moving and they're making the extra pass. And it's like, such a, it's like, you don't know how like it's coming from everywhere. And I think sometimes that results in the fact that it's like, look, guys, they know these rotations. They played you before. They read the scouting report. Um, and your execution just isn't as high because your chemistry is not as good. Uh, and it's not new to you anymore. And, like, you just need to shoot. You, just, you need to shoot. And Troy, I think, is like, no, I'm not making the extra pass. Like, I'm getting the shot up because I'm open. And I think that in some levels, I think that does help. I just think that in the – look, in the playoffs, I will return to this. They're going to need guys that – it's not that the guys that they have in the top eight are bad they have a really good team. And one of the things with the Nuggets that separates them versus a, like the difference between the Nuggets and the teams that are below them is quite honestly that they don't have guys where you're like, mm, I don't know about that guy. Mm. Like, I don't know about that guy. Like yeah, I, even the Houston Rockets, like, okay, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, PJ Tucker, Robert Covington, those four guys I feel good in. Gordon? Gordon. Yeah. yeah those yeah. five, those five I'll even say I feel good in. Daniel House? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
You know, like that, that drop-off happens. Now you can get to the same level of the Nuggets and you can be like, I yeah, think I'm the on. difference though there is that James Harden, Russell Westbrook are that offense and Jokic yes. is too, but it's just, it, it, Jokic is a two and three man game type player, yeah. not a one-on-one yep. player. So it's. Yeah, I totally agree. But my point there though, is just that like um, all the Nuggets guys are really good. I just think you're going to need a wild card. Well, here's, here's to your point. So if we go back to last year's playoffs, Juan Jordan Gomez was one for two, so he had 50% shooting, but that doesn't really count. Torrey Craig was 47%, 17 of 36. Malik Beasley was third at 19 of 47, 40%. Jokic was fourth. Then it was Gary Harris at 35%, Murray at 33, Millsap at 31. Those are your best shooters. They're all gone. They're all gone from the roster, and now you need improvement from Will Barton. Well, I think you'll get that this year, I think. You need it from Gary Harris. Who knows? You need it from Jamal Murray. Who knows? You need it from Michael Porter Jr. Don't know if he's going to play. Torrey Craig, I don't know if you're going to get better than 47% from Torrey <laughs> Craig this year. My hunch is no. So to your Man, point, uh, it is a concern, a real concern. When, when I saw the starting lineups and I was just like, oh, no, why is it? Like, I just, I just Part of me really felt like Malone was kind of like – was like, aha, this is working. Maybe I can make Tori look good. And then people will calm down about me playing Tori. Hey, man, just, I have to, I can't judge anybody for this, especially like I, as much as I would love to just be like, oh, Tori looks like classic Tori. Um, I can't look, man, I can't blame, I'm not going to blame Jokic for his performance in these games. So I'm not going to, definitely not going to blame Tori. Blame Tori. Yeah. yeah. But do you, yeah. do you think, are we going to see Gary Harris tomorrow? And I know nobody knows this, but your prediction, Michael Porter Jr., Gary Harris, um, are we going to see them tomorrow? We won't see MPJ. Oh. <laughs> uh, we'll see Gary for a short stint. Uh, Monte, a short stint. Oh. Monte probably no. Monte probably no. So MPJ, I just think Monte look, out. they are look, they are terrified. Look, this is the thing: is they are terrified of having uh, like they know that their roster is they're deep, but they're delicately constructed. Mm. And if they lose, like if Gary goes down with another growing pole, Oof. and now you're having to start Tory, there goes the offense. Like immediately, the offense, like because he won't shift Will over. He won't. He should. Mm. He should go. If if Gary gets hurt, it should be Jamal Barton, MPJ. Oh, totally. Millsap, Jokic, um, even Grant. I'm fine with playing Grant three. I yeah, think they've too. had some. I mean, at this they've, point, yeah, they've had they've had some success at that. I just think yeah. you just like I would not play Tory in the starters. Um, you just can't submarine the first seven minutes. I think Tory's good for like maintaining. I think there's things he does. I just can't get there with with starting him. Um, if if uh, MPJ gets hurt, it's they have long term concerns there. It's like we want him to be fully healthy for next season. Yeah. Um, and with Monte, it's like, look, if Monte gets hurt because he hasn't played and he's just now getting into the bubble and he's just now getting practice time and he's just now getting basketball reps. If Monte gets hurt, who's our backup? Like we're playing Jamal 45 minutes and you know, Jamal's going to sprain his ankle twice. Yeah. Like Jamal's going to sprain his ankle twice. So no. So the Jamal thing is really concerning, man. I just, we've talked about it a lot, but he just does seem to get little, little bumps and bruises. They're not like major injuries, knock on wood, but I'm not worried about it. Like I'm not worried about it now. I think it's going to bother him when he's like, when he's, when he gets to be 27, 28, but he'll probably be a little bit different in his approach Uh then. Like 
right now I'm not worried about it because I'm just like the kid's gonna play through it. He's gonna oh, get hurt. And he's gonna play through it. Definitely play through it. But I'd love to. He, one of the things about having four months off and then this condensed season is you think, okay, we're gonna get healthy versions. Hopefully, knock on wood of players. So, a little concern of it. But I look. I I'm really hopeful that we'll see even Michael Porter Jr. because I'm so curious to see how Malone handles Michael Porter after this the season that he's had now going to this bubble and if he gets zero ramp up games my confidence in Michael Porter being any part of this is going to, uh, he, and, and I asked him about it and I, I asked him about it after the all-star break. I said, do you think Michael's going to be in the, in the rotation, by the oh, end of yeah. the season and the playoffs? <laughs> and he said, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. then he didn't play him for two weeks. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> did what you are see, you doing Malone? Did you see his dunk that Bull Bull posted? Uh, did you see this? I'm telling yeah. you, he looks so athletic. He looks so springy. I'm ready yeah. for it. But, and this is the thing is like, this this gives Malone a really good excuse. Oh my god! Does. Stop it, Matt. Stop it. it. Just does. It gives him a really good excuse. And so, like, I, but I, I will. Well, okay. Nuggets gotta win. There's no look, excuse if you lose. There's, yeah, matter. I mean, that's that's the other thing, though. I will say this is, I think Malone will eventually turn to that. I just don't know if he's going to turn to it in time. Like, mm-hmm. I have concerns that they're down three one in a series and can't produce enough offense, and then he's like let's give MPJ a try and see if we can get a spark. And then if it doesn't, and then like, if it doesn't work, it's like, look, man, you're already down three, one, like the momentum had shifted too much. So like no. those, those are the kind of things I'm concerned about, but look, I think MPJ, I think MPJ will play during the regular seating games by yeah, like yeah. midway. Like, well, I think wait may They'll have ramp his, up may, his minutes. Well, like bolt may play in the beginning and not play at the end. And I think uh, like at the halfway point, he may be done. And I think like MPJ will probably play, in the middle like the middle chunk of it when i want to date give me a prediction from when we're going to see jamal murray nikola Jokic, bull bull and michael porter jr on the court at the same time uh just january 15th 2021 so that's roughly at the start of next season that's be a little bit beyond the start of next season a little bit beyond all right well there you go Alrighty, uh, for Matt Moore, I'm Adam Adas. Uh, this was our, our Monday edition. We're going to have stuff all week. We're back. We're back next week. It's our final sort of week of the offseason, and there's plenty of stuff that's going to be happening um, that it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm Like I said, I'm back in the swing of things. I'm feeling the excitement. I think next week I'm going to really be feeling the excitement. Um, so can't wait for it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. If you're on your phone right now, open up your Apple, Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating and review. Let your friends know about the show, and we'll see you all next time. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.